Bible. If you've got one, if you don't, um, they're on the back table. Or you can open one or find one for free, however it is you want to look at it online. I don't care, but you're going to need a Bible. So everybody knows that for the most part. You've been here for a while. Um, but we're going to get into the Word. We're in Acts, so jump to it. It's in the New Testament, it's, so it's in the back. It's in the fifth book. So, or it is the fifth book, so you're talking about way back here on the back half of the Bible. And we've been going through the whole Bible now uh, for, man, a year and a half. And we are coming to a close. We will be done with this um, in the next several weeks. But we've been working through from God's, or looking at God's story from the b- before creation all the way through Genesis, all the way to where we are now in Acts. And not reading every word. You can go back and read every word. That's the cool part of the Bible. But we've been looking at who he is and what the Bible is trying to tell us about who God is and who we are and what's Jesus all about and what's sin all about and all of those things and seeing that story throughout history. So it brings us today to Acts And we are at a time where Jesus has risen from the dead and he has entrusted his disciples with beginning his church. Well, it started in Jerusalem where he died and rose from the grave, right? So from there, that church has begun to spread and multiply. We are sitting here today in Tempe, Arizona, this little group that we have. We were originally in a house and now we're sitting here in these chairs. But this little bitty church is a result of all these things that we're reading today and that we've been reading in Acts, which is mind-blowing. 2,000 years later, this is, we are still a church that is being birthed by what happened here back in this day. So anyway, we're following that story. And so today the question is, which God is God? Which God is God? Now that may sound like a duh to you and me. Um, I remember meeting Cher. Not the singer. Uh, I saw your head snap. Say what? No, not the singer. Uh, no, uh, she was a server at a Ruby Tuesdays in Tennessee, and uh, back when I was much younger. And uh, I, before my, my friends and I were there eating, she was our server. And before the meal was over, I'd asked her out, and we started dating. We dated for a pretty good while, but very early on, somehow or another, the topic of God came up. And at this time, I was I was slinging drugs and all that kind of thing. I was not following the Lord, but I knew who I grew up in it, so I knew all about it. So this girl, though, somehow or another, the topic of religion comes up, and she says um, something about God and and that kind of thing. I forget how she worded it, but. I said to her that I believed in God. Yes, I believe in God. And she said, which one? Well, to me, that was mind-blowing. Like, now, granted, we lived in the Bible Belt over there in the south, and so you rarely met anyone that didn't believe in God, and most people believed in the God of the Bible, even if they didn't know who he was. Uh, They assumed that was God. So for her to say that, it was really shocking. I mean, I'm even dealing drugs, and I'm still shocked that she says, which God? Um, now here, it wouldn't shock me at all to hear it now. 
But back then, it was really mind-blowing. And her question, she was raised in a Jehovah's Witness home. Her father was a Jehovah's Witness preacher. So just the fact that, and, and, and that's a different thing, but I'm just saying, just the fact that she would still say, which God, it really pointed to something that is huge. That you can be surrounded by faith. You can be surrounded by religion and have no idea who God is. Like, that's some scary stuff, if you really be honest about it. You, you can be surrounded by faith and religion and not know who God is. And it's on us. It's our responsibility to be sharing who he really is with other people, if you know who he is. If you don't know who he is, you're going to find out today which God is God. So I always give you kind of a one little thought. It's on the sheet if you grab one in the back. If you didn't, that's fine. It's not scripture. It's just me. And that is today that sharing the gospel should come from a desire to tell others the truth, regardless of the response we may get. That sounds obvious, but it's really not. The desire is the word. There should be in us a desire to tell people the truth, regardless of the response we get. You know what I'm saying? So let me start before we jump in. I'm going to show you a quick map so you can get some reverence, uh, relevance to where we are because we've started, the gospel started moving. So you see where it says Palestine down there. It's funny that it says that. That's where Israel was. Uh, that's a long story. It got changed to Palestine uh, by Rome and was that way for a few thousand years. Now it's back to being called Israel. But this is just the best, clearest map I found quickly. So you see where Jerusalem is. And... Paul, this is the second trip that Paul is taking around the known world to share the gospel. And so where we are in this, see up there where it says Macedonia in the top left? That's Greece, uh, modern-day Greece. These little towns up there are the ones that we're looking at. And you can see Athens if you look. It's right down at the point where Macedonia is kind of pointing down towards it. And that's where most of what we're going to talk about take place. So you can see how far he is from home. And how he's been moving around, and these are all where he's begun to go share the gospel to plant a church. There are no churches there. These are places he's gone to living rooms, much like ours, to try to see if a church, if God will grow a church there. So here we are. Go to Acts 17, and I'm going to read through a, a chunk of this, and then we'll land the plane on a specific piece of the text, but... Uh, it says this, now when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, those are those two up in the top, they came to Thessalonica. It says they because Paul is traveling with some friends, okay, long and short of it. He's got disciples with him, they're traveling, and they come to Thessalonica. That city is still there today, it has a different name, but it's Thessaloniki, I think, but it's still there. Uh, where they came, uh, excuse me, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. That's the key word. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them. So when's the Sabbath? How often does the Sabbath come? Once a week, right? Every, yeah. So three, for three weeks, he's reasoning with them from the Scriptures. And he's explaining, I love this, and proving that it was necessary for the Christ, or that word means Messiah, that's, it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying... This Jesus, whom I'm teaching you about, I'm proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. So basically, Paul goes to Scripture, and he takes a Bible, just like you got, an Old Testament, just like you got, and he shows how Jesus is the Messiah to Jews. 
Why would he go to the Jews, by the way? Why does Paul go to a synagogue? It says, as was his custom. All these little stops he made, he looked for synagogues. Why would you go there? Remember, these devout Jews, they would have been at the crucifixion. Because the crucifixion happened in Jerusalem at Passover. And devout Jews had to go to Jerusalem for Passover. So at least the leaders of this synagogue would have been in Jerusalem during Passover and would know all about Jesus. And would have seen him crucified. And would know the rumors of his resurrection. They probably know who Paul is too. Because Paul had major credentials. You can read those in Philippians chapter 3 I think. Um, he was well known among the Jews. Major uh, achievements and heritage and all that kind of stuff. And they would have known who he was. And they may even know that he turned to Jesus. They may already know that too. So, man, you're risking it, Paul, walking up in their house to start trying to tell people about Jesus, the crucified Jew, who is the Messiah. But that's right where he goes. Why would he go there? Why go straight to them? This is key, guys. They had this. You know, Paul didn't just go say, hey, let me tell you this cool story about this guy who changed my life. Paul went everywhere he went. He went, as was his custom, to where this already was and said, let me show you who this is talking about. Let me show you the story of God. So why why would you not go to the synagogue? They already have the word. They got the scripture. You could start there. And it's actually, even though they may not believe in him, it's helpful that they know who Jesus is. He doesn't have to sit here and try to tell them, well, let me tell you the story of this Jew. And they already know, love him or hate him. They know who he is. So Paul can go, let me take you to Isaiah 53 and show you that this Jesus is the Messiah. So look at verse 4. I'm going to take a chunk out here because we want to get to the, to the location, but this matters. So let me read through this with you quickly. If you've got the Bible, you're reading with me. Acts 17, verse 4. It says, and some of them were persuaded. So he's been proving and explaining, and some of them, they're persuaded, and they join Paul and Silas. So they're like, man, we're with you. As did a great many devout Greeks. Devout Greeks just meant that they were Greeks, but they were going along with the Jews. And now they have been moved from the Jewish faith alone to believing in this Jewish Messiah and who Paul is talking about. And not a few leading women. I love that, too. They always point out that there were women in this. It's not just dudes. There are women and leading women. So there were women that were influential and that were leading things that, bought, that immediately, Paul, you're right. I believe you. I see it. Verse 5. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and they set up the city in an uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason, which is where they were staying, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I love that Jason's name. is Who's Jason? I don't know. But they knew. Jason was somebody. You know what I mean? Like, that sounds dumb, but it's not. Like, that. your Bible is trustworthy. Like, his name and a name. That would make no sense. They would say to a, a tall, dark man or a, 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 a blonde hair, blue eye guy. But no, it was Jason. Y'all know Jason. You know what I mean? That, that's why it's worded that way. And then he says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. 
Man, what an awesome line that is. Man, if we could be people that it was said, turn the world upside down. Man. And Jason's received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, which is not true, saying that there's another king, Jesus. They are saying that, but he's not another. He's the only. Verse 8, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed. They get all worked up when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So basically, they, they capture Jason and the ones they can get, and they allow them to go on bond. That's what that basically means until they sort this thing out and try to quiet the mob. Uh, verse 10, but the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas. So as soon as they get freed, they're gone. Away by night, they sneak them out to Berea. And Berea was on our list. It's another little town there on that map. And when they arrived, they went where? Into the Jewish synagogue, same thing again. Now these Jews were more noble than the ones in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness. And they were, look what it says, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are true. I don't know if that's ever happened to y'all, man, but it happened to me about a decade ago. A little more than that now, maybe. Like where somebody showed me in scripture Something, there's so many, I don't remember what was first, but something in Scripture that connected to Christ in the Old Testament that was so accurate that it freaked me out. And I was like, what? And I'm buried in this thing after that. Like, show me more of that. How crazy is that? 2,000 years before and there it is, you know. So that's what they're doing. And it goes, he goes on and he says, uh, to see if these things were so, many of them therefore believe. So a lot of them believe. And with not, once again, not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So now he puts the women before the men. So now it's, wow, these high standing, high profile women believe on some guys too. But when the Jews, once again, from Thessalonica, so these are the Jews, same mob of Jews from the neighboring town before, learned that the word of God, I love that, the word of God was proclaimed. Not just Jesus, not just whatever, but the word of God was being proclaimed. So who are they making an enemy out of? The word of God, right? When they heard it was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating, stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off. So once again, they come around, they say, Paul, you got to go. They send him off by sea this time. So he's not crossing the sea. He's just kind of going down the coastline, but, but by water. But Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. So they bring Paul alone, leave the other two behind for a minute. And after receiving a command from, uh, for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So these guys take Paul down the coastline to Athens. And they, Paul leaves his traveling companions behind. And the guys who have taken Paul to deliver him, Paul says, hey, when you get back, tell them to come on. So, but in the meantime, Paul's alone, for the most part, in Athens. So, here's where we want to lean in. Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked or, or irritated. Or not anger, it's like urge, like he's just uncomfortable within him. As he saw, the city was full of idols. Now, Athens is this big capital city of Greece. It's huge. It's still there today. Um, You're familiar with it, whether you've been there or not. And he sees it's full of idols. So he, again, reasoned where? 
In the synagogue with the Jews, again, he goes back to the Jews. He goes back to where there's already a foundation of the Bible and understanding. And the devout persons, which that, again, would be the people who are already committed to the faith of the Jews, but aren't necessarily Jewish people, Greeks. And in the marketplace, though, every day with those who happen to be there, whoever showed up. Now, that's unusual, right? He just changes Routine. Athens was huge. It already had a synagogue. But here Paul also goes public. Like, why? What made a difference here? Why did he suddenly just go public in this city? Wait, he'd been mobbed twice. I would think going public would be really scary at this point. Only reason we can find is because his spirit was provoked in him. He was so sensitive to what God was saying to him that he was just moved. And he's overcome. Like there's a sense of emotion here. Like this is so sad. Y'all are worshiping all these lies. Like this is so sad. I can't sit here and watch this. Like I just can't sit here. And remember he's all alone. He don't have a posse. He's by himself. And he reasoned it said. Again, reasoned with them. He might have been speaking louder because there were people gathering around him, you know, and he's in a crowd and he's in a marketplace. So he's probably speaking up. But this is not like the street preacher standing on the curb shouting, repenting, believe and screaming at people. It's not that kind of thing because he's reasoning. He, he's talking. He's not hellfire and damn. He's trying to help him understand. And he's probably loud, speaking loud because he's in a marketplace. But he's not barking off at people. Look at verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, well, you can go all off into that if you want and see about those guys, but they're just, they're philosophers. Uh, they also conversed with him. So some of these guys get in, and these dudes were huge. They weren't authorities in the sense of the law, but philosophers in Greece, that, that was the home of it all. So they were respected, like, highly just because they spoke wisely. And some said, what's this babbler really trying to say? What, what is it he wants us to hear? He's just babbling over here. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Like he's obviously preaching from gods of another place, from gods from a foreign land. Because he was preaching, it says, Jesus and the resurrection. It's not just talking about Jesus he loves you, Jesus cares about you, Jesus is great, Jesus is wonderful. He's preaching the resurrection. You want to stir things up? Don't just talk about how cool and nice and whatever Jesus is and the cool things Jesus will do for you. Start telling people he's alive. He rose from the dead. That's where it starts to get squirrely. Uh, Verse 19. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. Like, come over here and tell us about it. We want to understand what you're trying to say. For you bring some strange things to our ears. Yeah, I'll say, you're talking about a, a man who's crucified and rose from the dead. Uh, we wish to know. Therefore, what these things mean. That's cool. We want to know. We want to understand. So the Areopagus in ancient Athens, before Paul's time, it was a hill where the, the highest levels of government were, it literally comes from the word meaning hill of Ares, which was the god of war, or Mars Hill. And Mars Hill is still there today. So I got a couple of shots of it, I think. 
Yep, so that hill where those people are standing in Athens, that's it today. Uh, there's a couple, two or three more. There's the stairs going up to it. That's the same ones Paul would have gone up. Um, that's it, sitting on top of it and just kind of in the background. Is there another one or was it three? I don't remember how many it had. That's it. Okay. So that just gives you a picture so you got a mental idea of this place. It existed. It's still there. It was there when Paul got there. But when Paul was there, it wasn't government that was there. It was just a place where new ideas were tested. They probably still had a building there or, uh, you know, some column-type place, and he probably went and sat down. So verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Man, that sounds like today. Everybody wants something new all the time. He says, all and nothing. That's like exaggerated speech. It doesn't mean every single human being did nothing with their day except. He's just being exaggerating speech like we would do. And he's trying to make the point that it's the culture. The culture there was always want something new, something bigger, something better, something stranger, something to discover. And I love that Paul doesn't come in and... Demolish the culture. He doesn't come in and say, you're all wrong. You guys are all messed up. He goes. He says, you are always looking for something new. I'll give you something new. And he comes right in with it. So look what he says. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus. So he is standing there around all those people. They're all around him. He's, he's sitting in the, or standing in the middle of the room. Men of Athens. I perceive that in every way you're really religious. So he like honors them first. Like you guys are so religious. I get that. I see it. For as I've passed along and observed the objects of your worship, all these idols, statues and whatnot to all these gods, I found also an altar with this inscription. I love this. Paul doesn't challenge any of their stuff. He uses it. He finds one in particular that he can use to teach them and talk to them and connect with them. And he says, I found one with this inscription, to the unknown God. That's literally the just in case. That's what that is. I think we got altars to everybody else. But just in case there's one we're not sure about. We're going to put one up there too. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. In other words, I'm going to tell you who your unknown God is. Now, remember, nobody believed, this is a misconception, nobody believed that these idols were actually statues, were actually gods. Uh, That's a misconception. They believed that gods might inhabit one of those statues or, or something like that. But those statues were tributes to whom they considered to be gods. And they would put... Uh, you know, altars at the foot, and they would do all that stuff. But they weren't worshiping the statue in the sense that they thought the statue itself was God. It was the power that they thought might inhabit that. And what they thought they could get from God because they praised the statue. I ain't taking shots at anybody or anything, but that is real common around here. Know what I'm saying? That is real common around here. You can go drive through Guad over there. You can go drive through South Phoenix. Not taking shots. I'm just saying, y'all know what I'm talking about. Statues, idols, icons, all that thing, all those things that, you know, supposedly God's going to inhabit and we're, at, we're, we're, we're putting offerings towards it. It's exactly what Paul is dealing with here. Exactly what he's seeing. And he's seeing it to everything. 
But there's also the unknown God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's our world too. We just have a different word for it. It's called agnostic. It means there might be a God. There probably is a God. There could be a God, but we don't know him. But I'm not going to say there's not one. That, that's exactly what it means. Like I haven't been to every inch of the universe, so I can't claim there is no God. But I don't know him if there is. That's, that's exactly what he's talking about here with agnostic. But with Christianity, listen, it's different than all of that. It's no statues that you're throwing stuff at, true Christianity. It's no statues that you're throwing stuff at trying to get worship and, and connectivity with God. It's not a God you don't know. It's the complete opposite. It's a God you do know. It's a relationship. It's not all women. It's not me and the woman I see on TV and think I know. It's me and Molly. Well, I know her. I don't know everything about her, but I know her a lot better today than I did 20 years ago. Uh, we're growing together. Christianity is that. Like, you're actually connected. You know. You talk to him. You hear from him. That's what it means. John 17, verse 3. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus says this. This is eternal life. That they know you. God, Jesus is talking to the Father. That they know you. The only true God in Jesus, the Messiah, whom you've sent. That's true life. Knowing God. Eternal life is knowing who God is. That's enough. And you'll spend eternity knowing him, you know. Verse 24, back in Acts 17. Let's keep going. The God, he goes on. He's still having his speech. And this is powerful stuff. You want two verses to memorize? Put these down. If you ever go through discipleship with me, you will memorize these two, I promise. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord, already. He is Lord, being Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind, not just Christians, all mankind, Satanists, I don't care who, all mankind, life and breath and everything. Guys, the Lord doesn't dwell in something you built He dwells in something he built, which is the human soul. He doesn't dwell in something that we built. He doesn't live in this busted up building that we're sitting in right now. And I know we got some nice carpet and chairs, but you don't live here. And he doesn't live in some massive... A uh, huge church with all of the you know stained glass and arches and all that either. And he didn't live in a synagogue. He doesn't live in temples made by man. And Paul's approach starts just like ours did with the God before creation, the God who created everything. He starts there and then he zooms into Adam. And he, he's saying he made man. So he's telling you where God was and where we came from right in those first two little statements. And that simple little distinction, listen, that little distinction of who God is and where man came from means nothing made by man can be God. If he was before creation and he created creation and man, if we came from him, nothing we create can be God. It can't. 
whether it's a, 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 something in our mind or whatever. Molly and I were watching for about two seconds the MTV Music Awards the other day. We were just scrolling around, and they were on for a second. It happened to be honoring Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, whatever he's called. Puffy, I don't know who he is now. Uh, but they were honoring him, and he came out, and he was singing. He said this line. Uh, it was something like, if I don't, how do you say it? If I'm not going to, I said, I'm not, oh, I know what he said. He said, I'm not going to do a blank thing if God's not impressed. That's what he said. I'm not going to do a blank thing if God's not impressed. And, you know, it sounded all good. Everybody cheered. That may not be the exact quote, but it was something like that. Everybody cheered. And it's like, bro, uh, look, MTV might need you. God doesn't need you, you know. Your fans might need you. God doesn't need you. Your record label might need you. God doesn't need you. But but on the other hand, you've got to be careful because that applies to us too, right? And this is, this is a tough one, but just hear it out. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He wants me. He wants you. He loves you. For sure, but he sure don't need you. If creation is a product of a creator, then he alone is God. He can't be equal to anything else that's been created at all. Because he's from a place beyond creation. A place we call eternity. Time is created. He's outside of all of that. And we can't get our brains around it because we live in it. But he's the God who created all things. So if he's the creator alone... Then the question is, who's the creator? Who is he? Which God is God? And that's what Paul is reasoning about here. God made himself known in Christ. Not coming to be served as though he needed us, but coming to serve because we need him. You see that? He didn't come to be served by us. Like he needs our loyalty and service. He came to serve us because we need him. And all of life comes from God. That's what Paul's saying here. It's huge. Your breath is a gift from God. Let's just think about that a minute. How often do you think about breathing? And if you have asthma, severe asthma, it might be more often than the rest of us. But we don't think about breathing. We just breathe. All he's got to do is is take the oxygen. Just think about that. All he has to do is take the oxygen and there will not be a life form on this planet. It's gone. All of it. It, 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 it all comes from him. And all people throughout all ex- history exist because he gave them life. All people God's not responsible to us. That's his point. He's not dependent on us. We're fully dependent on him for every moment and every breath. We are fully dependent on him. Listen to me. Whether we acknowledge it or not. Doesn't matter if you thank him for it or not. You're still fully dependent upon him at every moment. It doesn't matter if you don't believe in him. You're still fully dependent on him at every moment. Look at verse 26. We'll finish up here. 
He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined ahead of time allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, basically having preset their destination, uh, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. You see, that's in quotes. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So Paul is quoting their popular philosophers. Paul's even using some of their own philosophers to make his point. Again, showing respect for their culture and who they are. What does it say, by the way, about that first verse there, verse 26, that he made from one man every nation? What does that say about racism? There ain't no room for it. Because we're all from one place. He made from all, all of us from one man. Black and white. I didn't mean that in terms of color. I'm saying that is a clear, profound statement. He made from one man every nation. What does that say about God that he set boundaries beforehand? Greece, Rome. You don't, you aren't in control of this planet. America. You ain't in control of this planet. Sorry. But, Ed, you being in America in 2023 is because God has a plan and put you here now. You could have been here anytime. But you're here now. And you're here. Not over there, not over there, not over there. You're here. Like that that means something. It's called purpose, right? It's called meaning. We don't have to philosophize like, oh, I wonder if what like we got you have a meaning. You have a purpose. You matter. You were designed. You were placed. Like that's huge. You're not just some random sack of cells that assembled up out of the dirt. With, you know, no purpose in history whatsoever uh, other than to advance the dirt that's going to come up after you. That's not the case. And Paul's point here with these boundaries in these nations, he says, is that they, you were placed here so that God could be found. Whether you know him or not, he's present and he's active around you. That's what Paul's saying. Unlike a lot of beliefs that say God spun the world and then took off. He's not here anymore. Or he doesn't care. Or he's not involved. Or he's too holy to waste his time here. He created us, sure. He started all this thing and we worship him, whatever. But he doesn't have anything to do with us. He's gone on about his way. He's out. He's, he's checked out. That's not the case. Paul says, no, he's right here. That, that could be really encouraging for you or really scary for you. There might be times when it's scary to think that God might be watching what I'm doing. Sitting in the seat beside me. And there's other times when I'm at the end of it all. And thank you, Jesus, that I know you're right there. And that's what he's trying to say. Last couple of texts, verse 29. He says, but then God's 
uh, being then God's offspring. And by the way, when he's talking about us being God's offspring, he, he's pointing out to the fact that we all came from Adam, as he, as he noted, that we're all created by God. It doesn't mean that we're all right with God. We're all perfect. God's cool. Everything's great just because we're his, we're created and we're his kids. That's not what it means. It means that we're accountable to him as creator. We all are. So verse 29. Being then God's creation, his offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image that's formed by the art and imagination of man. He can't be something that you guys made because we came from him. And even your own philosophers say we were created by him. So a stone you created can't be what created you. The times of ignorance God overlooked or endured, and he's, he's put up with this thing. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. There's no more excuses. Now you know you need to turn around. Why? Because he's fixed a day. He's set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all. By raising him from the dead. So Paul talks about this man, Adam. And now he contrasts that man with this man, Messiah. Who's risen from the dead. And Paul makes a clear call to respond. The God of creation has made you. He is near to you. He's close to you. He has now made himself known to you. And hear me out. He will judge you. That's what he's saying. There's going to come a day he's going to judge all people because we are all his offspring. We are all accountable to him because he made us. And the key to salvation is in one thing, repenting. That's what he said. He said it black and white. That just basically means to turn to him. Stop following all these idols. Stop following all these things like turn to him. And the judge he's talking about is Jesus. That's the one raised from the dead. And it's guaranteed. That's what he's saying. He's saying it is assured to you. You have been given assurance that that is going to happen. A lot of people try to play that off. Like, no, it's going to happen. How do you know it's going to happen, Paul? How do you know? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what he says. In other words, he's alive and waiting. You can be sure that it's going to happen because he raised him from the dead. So which God is God? Is he the product of you or are you the product of him? He stepped down to us, unlike all these other gods that expect us to climb to him or her or whoever they think it is. He died for us, unlike all these other gods that expect us to die for him or them or whoever they are. Last two verses. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, well, we'll listen to you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. And he tells you who some of them were and a woman as well. Paul has used the culture, and he's been really respectful. But what he shared is not a promise of a prosperous life or pleasure or joy or all that. It's the truth to know who God is. It's the truth that there's a path of freedom from judgment that is coming. The truth that you can repent. 
You can turn, and he's close. And the responses are all different across all three of these cities. Thessalonica, there was a mob. Berea, there was a study. Athens, philosophizing. Some say yes, some look deeper, some attack. In in Athens, there was mockery. There were some that said later. And then there were some that said, hey, we're going to put our faith in, we're going to follow you. So which one's today for you? You heard it. The same as they heard it. Which one is it today with you? Let me ask you guys to stand up. And uh, we're going to close up. Deidre's going to come. We're going to do one more song, as we always do. Uh, But we're going to take a quick minute. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And again, not being overly dramatic. We just want to be able to focus a minute on him. And on what, what, what we've heard from his word. I know I'm talking, but I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about his word. The God who made the heavens and everything in them. Doesn't live in this temple made by man. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. But he calls us to repent. He calls us to turn to him. If you're a believer in the room, the gospel is not the gospel to you. Share it. And I hope you're excited to share it. I hope you're excited to reason with people about Christ within their culture and not against their culture. But if you're not a believer, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if you have not repented, and I'm not talking about being a perfect person. I'm talking about realizing that the direction that you're going in now is not going anywhere. And turning the other way and looking at the cross. And saying, I trust it. I don't understand every little detail of this, but I trust that Jesus who died on that cross died for me. I trust that Jesus who rose from the grave because no grave was going to hold the one who created everything. That Jesus who rose from the grave did that for me. And I trust that when I stand before him one day, rather than be judged... He's going to say, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. If that's you, you need to tell him that. You need to tell him that's what you want. However you want to say it, that's what repent means. Turn to him and put your faith in him. Lord, I love you, and I thank you as always for your word. It is so powerful and amazing. And I thank you for the privilege of having it. And I don't mean as a pastor, I mean as a believer. We all have it. Help us be faithful to share it. And Lord, I pray that today, as we walk out of here in a few minutes... That this stuff doesn't just roll off our back, but it sticks in our minds. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.